and exalted. And we honor you and we love you. We thank you for assembling us together this day to hear your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So uh, yesterday we started about the fact that God rules in the kingdom of men. Many people have uh, controversy over this concept and, and it's the concept of good versus evil. They always uh, want to believe that God uh, would not allow anything evil to happen. Well that day is over. That there We did have a day like that. It was called a garden where man was first created. But God gave man the uh, ability to make choices. And he chose evil, and we we decide, we began to understand how human nature works uh, because we understand if you're made in God's image, <clears throat> you have to be made 100% in God's image. Now, when God made the man and the woman, they had they knew no sin; they never disobeyed God, but He did put them to the test of choice. And if you're to make, be fully made in God's image, you have to be able to choose. Uh, God can choose. He has a will. He has a mind that decides. He has a spirit connected to that mind that decides. And he made man exactly like him. God always chooses the good. And he expects man to do that if we're going to work with God and cooperate with God. Well, the man in the garden, uh, man and woman in the garden were influenced by the devil and seduced over and deceived into choosing evil. Innocent people don't have the ability to contemplate and conjure up something they have no contact with. I'm going to say it again. Innocent people have no ability to conjure up and, and, and imagine something they've had no contact with. So when they first got in the garden, they had no contact with evil. They didn't. They couldn't see what the devil would do a thousand years down the road and see all the murder and mass destruction. Nothing like that ever had happened to them so they had no reference point for what would happen. They also, when something is subtle... It's it's almost like you know uh, boiling something uh, starting in cold water. As the temperature increases, you don't realize how hot it is because you've been acclimated to it, and that's how deception operates. People will come in a cloak of of something that you perceive to be good on the surface, and you look at it, and it doesn't seem that there's anything wrong with it, and then little by little. It gets to infect you and gets to persuade you because you already have a a peaceful reference point for certain things. For instance, if somebody that you love and know and trust comes to you and says, Oh, you know, I want you to try this. It's really good. And they've never given you anything that's bad before. You'll try it just because you anticipate good from that person. And I believe that's the way it was with the, the serpent. You know, they had a lot of animals. They talked to animals yes they did it wasn't Dr. Doolittle but it was Adam and Eve that talked to their 
their animals and all of the animals probably talked to them in a fashion where they were submissive they were docile they obeyed because that was the setup God gave them dominion and the the animals didn't rebel against them and neither did the serpent see if they had seen rebellion in him that would have triggered something there to alert them but he was subtle he said "Mm, just like people do you when they see you coming to church you have to go to church every Sunday you give your money do you give you tithe you believe in that you give them people all your money well tithing all your money number one but the way they phrase it to you when it's subtle you let down your guard against it and you let that word seep in now if you don't in your heart your mind or verbally counter that word it's it's planted in you you uproot it by rejecting it and putting the word of God in its place yeah devil I'll give God all my money if I didn't need money to live off of I'd give it all to him you understand what I'm saying agree with your adversary you don't have to strive and struggle with people cuss them out and all that kind of stuff you can agree with your adversary and let him know he has no weapons against you makes sense to me it's biblical because <laughs> if you if you continue to argue and strive they'll take it even further see that never ends that striving arguing all it never ends and so you have to watch yourself and how you deal uh, in these conversations that challenge you and and want you to feel inferior or stupid because you love God. That's really what it's about, you know. Yeah, devil, I love God. I don't like no one thing. <laughs> I ain't going back to your place no more. I ain't living with you no more. We is done. We is through. And I see who you are behind what you're doing. And so anyway, uh, Adam and Eve were, were seduced. The woman really was seduced. And then the man, of course, because he was under a vow to leave father and mother and cleave to him, went with her. I mean, that's so plain to me. But you'll hear people preach, oh, he should have left her. He had no inclination to leave his wife. You tell it on yourself with that statement. Uh, Adam kept his word. He vowed in front of God that he would leave father and mother, cleave to the wife. So he entered into the transgression with her. Else they would, we wouldn't be here. If they had split up back then, we wouldn't be here. So Adam had better sense than to do that. He said, I vowed this before God and I know God will take care of me if I obey my wedding vows. Hey! You know, Proverbs says uh, committing adultery is like taking a pan of hot coals to your bosom. That's, you know, your barbecue pit got dumped in your lap. But yet you see people do it all the time. Come on now. It's foolishness. 
I don't care how rough it gets in the mirrors. That's hot right there. It ain't that hot. And I know so well it's not. <laughs> it can get hotter. Anywho. So God rules in the king. That was free. God rules in the kingdom of men. Amen. God, we had some scriptures. Daniel 4.32 says that. We see a lot of, and, and this is the other question people have. Is God interested in who the president is or who the governor is? Absolutely. Romans Romans 13.1 says all the powers that be are ordained by God. He sets up governments. He inspires people to set up governments in a certain way. Uh, he deposes kings and raises them up. We saw that in Daniel 2.21 yesterday. In John 19.11 when Jesus faced Pilate. And Pilate said, well, you know, you're not going to answer me. You know who I am. Jesus said, you wouldn't have no power unless it was granted to you by heaven. You got me? And so all these powers. And that's why we have to respect the powers that are over us. The exception being in when God decides that he, he doesn't want you to do that. When it's violating his higher law. God is a higher law, folks. And if you're subject to God's higher law, he will give you an effective way to deal with an illegal power or power that violates his law. He will give you a successful way to deal with it. Sometimes it's landed people in jail, but it was successful in the end. You got me? So we we have to understand that. You know, there's nothing wrong with with there being a stoplight, a traffic light. We talked about that yesterday. Don't be crazy. Uh don't be contentious for no reason. But God will uh allow uh dissent and he will allow a petition to heaven for justice when laws are not um uh, laws are not uh, friendly to us or they violate God's law one big example we talked about yesterday was abortion legalized abortion in this nation and that we have a biblical example that God does not favor that I don't care what the Supreme Court says we talked about the Dred Scott decision of 1857 which really precipitated the Civil War uh, many people felt like that was the tipping point that let uh, let the nation know that they had to get rid of slavery even if it meant uh, bloodshed then it would have to be that because it was something that uh, was embraced in certain states of this nation certain de- states refused them they talked about the Mason and Dixon line which separated north from south slave from free northern states did not allow slavery and Dred Scott's uh, master had lived in in a couple of states in the north and he claimed his freedom based on that uh, when in he 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 was able to file a lawsuit it they got all the way to the Supreme Court and they rendered their decision that uh, Dred Scott was not a person he was property and so it seems like that's been repeated uh, in the Roe versus Wade that the baby is not a person. They call it all kinds of things, product of conception. Uh, uh, it has no rights, no constitutional rights. And I thought, well, what right does the mother have to execute an innocent baby? See, that's cruel and unusual punishment. Everybody knows that. You've seen partial birth abortions, all that kind of stuff. 
and and we have people who advocate that with with heartless you know some of these women are mothers and grandmothers you know and say which one of your grandkids would you do that to you understand what I'm saying? I mean, if you can do it while they're, they have no voice. That's the only reason you're able to do it, is they don't have a voice yet. And so the fact now that they have a voice does not make them more of a person than they were when they were being formed in the womb. If that process had been left alone, they have a voice. People don't, they don't like this. You got me? They don't like this kind of discussion and they don't like this thinking about it because it's too it's too ugly. But they put a man in prison, an obstetrician, for doing abortions. Uh, And some of the most gruesome stories were told about what happened to those babies. He did full term abortions and now he's in prison. Because people who worked for him testified how he treated those. They were real babies and those women saw that. And so don't tell me and, and see there are people now still still campaigning on, on full term. And no limit now. I wouldn't put any limit on that. And it's, this is a sacred woman's right. You know you want to go. Pow. <laughs> My sacred rights. Now it really makes me mad. Makes me very angry. When you think about, and then you see some of these, uh, the same same token, you see programs where they show babies who are, are you know, one, one pound and some ounces, and they're struggling for life, and everybody's pulling for them to live. And over here, you got one that could live if it were born, and they killed out. It's just, it's, it's not, it's insane. It's insane. It's insane. You don't have to be a, a, a more than just a human being to understand the insanity of it. And it needs to stop. And it's going to stop in Jesus' name. We're not going to live like this. And you can expect blessings and good from God and you do that to his inheritance? No way. No way. No way. You don't support stuff like that if you're a Christian either. I got news for you. So you you better straighten up and get yourself your mind right and stay on the right side of the line because judgment is coming to this this world. You got me? Where God is looking for who's on my side. You get on that side of the line. You see it in the Bible over and over again. If they didn't jump on that side of the line soon enough, the earth opened up and swallowed them up. And so you don't want to go down with that because you're stubborn and you're, you're full of nonsense and you're listening to this stuff for so long. You don't want to go down with the the unbelievers and the wicked because let them have their wickedness. You've been blood bought. Those babies are blood bought babies because they're created by God and they haven't haven't lived to do anything wrong and they get executed. So you don't want to go along with that bunch. I'm here to tell you. If you don't know, now you know. So Dred Scott was not a person, he was property. Then this country went to war over that concept that slaves were human beings. And they were entitled to the same constitutional rights as whites, as human beings. You got me? And so we fought that war already. You know, we don't have to fight that war again. That's been established already. Just walk in the truth of it. We need to understand that God has a solution to every man-made problem. So this is a man-ordained problem. 
We ran a statistic in 2015 and 2014. More African-American babies were aborted in Washington, D.C. than were born alive. I'm going to say it again. There were more abortions than live births in 2015 and 14 in Washington, D.C. So now we have genocide by choice. Black Lives Matter people. Go, Go march about that. Go tell them young girls to keep their babies. Or or better yet, quit doing this and go find your husband. Go get your job. Go do something productive and cut this out. So we're on a slippery slope, folks. And things need to turn around and turn around very quickly. And we need to seek God's solution. There's these other things people call a man-made global warming. There's this other thing that's out there. It's amazing that people start to build a religion around problems. Where they will get out and evangelize and march and all of this. Uh, Global warming, what they call global warming, is not even scientifically um, established and most people it's a theory okay it's a theory and it's not even a solid one because there's no evidence really of any of their claims they claim that carbon dioxide which has freely been available in our uh, atmosphere since it was created is a problem now so I don't know if they plan to go suffocate people Or what they plan to do. But they think that we're doing this because of the way we live. So if we have carbon dioxide in the atmosphere we need to stop the production of it. And so you hear all these little theories. One of the uh, proponents of it is Leonardo DiCaprio. And he has put together some kind of movie that he shows that shows the earth being destroyed by guess what? A flood. Now, Genesis 8.22 tells you when it rains, look up in the sky. When you see a rainbow, that's evidence that God has kept his promise and he will not destroy the earth by flood again. My problem with all of these people that preach their nonsense is nobody ever reads a Bible or consults God about what to do about the problem. So I have a problem with people who have solutions that are not biblical. You just don't listen to them. They don't have much credence and they will not hold up to the Bible scrutiny test. And so all of this nonsense that gets pumped into people's brains, Christians included, you got some Christian global warming people. Well, the earth is warming up. Yeah, because hell is heating up. Because we got so many sinners running around here. Y'all quit sinning, everything would come back right again. Repent. This nonsense. Yeah, they, they feel the effects of it, which is good. You need to do something, but your solution ain't coming the right way. It's not going to take care of nothing. So... Yes, God gets involved in the affairs of men. He rules there. And God has a solution to everything. He gave it to us during the reign of King Solomon. Solomon was uh, the wisest man really that ever lived. The Bible says that. And that's very well established. 
And Solomon, because he was uh, young and inexperienced, he petitioned God. Sometimes it's good to have people who don't have much experience because they might fall on their knees and ask for real help. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes experienced people just do the same things over and over again. You know, ministers, I've seen it. They instead of praying for messages uh, before a service starts or whenever and prepare for a message, you know, every day is a new day in God. They go back and get the old sermons and preachers. Oh, here we go again, old dusty ones. And they never even flow with the anointing to get a new, you know, it's nothing wrong with preaching things you preached before. But let the Holy Spirit guide you to what this crowd needs right here today before, you know, the day that right here. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with experience, but it's got to be tempered in a way that you know it's a new day and you need a new solution to what's going on, you know, and, and the problems that we face. So God has solutions for all of this and he does get involved in the affairs of men. We see that he gives power to those who are in power because the people have somehow allowed it to happen it's better to if you live in a a country where you can vote vote anyway you understand what I'm saying don't let somebody else make that decision for you and so you have to because it becomes an agreement a prayer of agreement when you what you cast your ballot for and so you need to let God know that you're taking responsibility and you're letting your voice be known and so this is a good thing as long as you have a voice use your voice because God gets to use the voice of his people who agree with him and that's what he wants so Solomon because he was young and inexperienced he would ask God continually for wisdom ask him for show me how to he said God I have no experience to God to govern all these people look at the number of these people it's humongous what am I to do so give me wisdom God said because you didn't ask for anything for yourself but you asked for wisdom I'll give you that plus amen and so God saw his heart that he was for helping his people and God gave him that plus so you you have to look at that God will do that if you'll get somebody who wants to partner with him and work with him and so Solomon set the precedent for many many things it was a, a, a golden age for the nation of Israel he sought God continually and then he started to in his wisdom anticipate situations that would come up where people would not be living well and I think that's always good wisdom for anybody who's in charge of something and so Solomon said God when he when they dedicated the temple he said God hear our prayer if it comes to the point where we are led captive and overtaken by another another nation or if we have famine and then the rain ceases and the heavens shut up God hear our prayer and from that we get our scripture in second chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name it's the same prayer if the heavens are shut up if you're carted off as slaves to another nation of people if my people who are called in other words it's a call to repentance repentance always works 
You can always change your mind. If you see you've done something wrong and it didn't work out, that's a red flag. Get on your knees and humble yourself to God and seek his face and turn from your wicked, selfish, crazy ways. And he promises to hear us. If we come back to him in repentance and purity, he promises to hear us and heal our land. So that's what we've been petitioning God for. And I rejoice Detroit and in, in, in our prayers period. But we especially felt to focus on the city of Detroit and encourage each other with prophetic words from month to month and let let God know we're still interested in changes he wants to make God is the one who wants to do these things we didn't just make this up it's something to do you know and I'm not saying people don't do that but this isn't something that that was just made up so we could have you know <laughs> have to get up early on a Saturday morning and ride up here <laughs> that wasn't a, that wasn't in my plan at all but it was something I knew God wanted done he wants this done he can say by many or by few you know numbers don't bug me we've had large numbers in this ministry and half of them were troublemakers you see they weren't wanting to pray you know they were wanting to have a ministry or wanting to get ordained or you know everybody's got their own little agenda and so I know when God gets serious about doing something the first thing he'll do is decrease the numbers it's like Gideon got it People don't like to hear that. Oh no, God always, his kingdom is increasing. I didn't say it wasn't. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm talking about certain work that he wants done. In fact, he invites people to leave. (laughs) Y'all reading the same Bible line? He He said, if you go to war... He said, let the fearful and faint-hearted go home. Because you get that fear on everybody in here. He said, you'll make your brothers faint, hearts faint also. God said, I don't want anybody going down to fear. You get scared and start turning on each other. He said, no, if you're scared, stay home. So that's your invitation to bow out. Just saying. Yeah, I'm not inviting nobody here to leave, but I'm just saying that's your invitation to bow out. But you know you can overrule your fear. All you gotta do is keep your mouth shut. That's what I tell people. Just don't say nothing. We won't know if you are scared. Like when Pastor Shirley and I, our little early Bible studies, I was thinking I go into Bible study. I see all these nice little ladies and you know little grandmas and moms and stuff like that, and half of them witches. I said, Lord, have mercy on this. Pastor Shirley, we they always served you uh, coffee and some kind of like a you know donut or. You know, some continental breakfast type thing, you know, a little sweet. Pastor Shirley would be sitting up looking at me and looking at <laughs> people bouncing off the walls and getting up and going to the bathroom 15 times and pulling the shades down. And Yeah. This woman, one woman couldn't stand the light. I told... Uh, Pastor Shirley at the last day, I think she was a vampire. Which she I never met one before, but I, she fit the bill. The only thing we didn't see is if she had a reflection in front of the mirror. I wasn't going to do the mirror test. I was getting out of there. 
Pastor Shirley would sit there and drink coffee and, and chew up all them donuts. <laughs> and be looking. I was thinking, where's my backup? No, don't back up. <laughs> but we learned. I learned how to stand in my authority and not move. <laughs> oh, Lord. So to this day, I ain't scared of witches. I'm pretty much, when I'm in the anointing, I ain't scared of nothing. Y'all could, you know, blow this place up, but I'd still be preaching. long as I had a mic, I'm preaching. But uh, things don't move me. You have to be immovable. You can't be moved when... And I'm serious about that. If you don't do anything for God. I'm talking about even raising a family. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about getting out and trying to minister nothing. Just living for God. You can't be easily moved. devil's a liar anyway. The best way you can prove that is not wavering. You'll see him flee. You'll see him stop. You'll see him quit. Man. So I've never had anybody take over a meeting yet. And I don't intend to. Man. You're a brand new Christian and you cut your teeth on witches and warlocks. We got a difficult world out here to do. Most of the women I knew had nice little neighborhood Bible studies and everybody came in was nice. I get these chimpanzees swinging from the chandelier. So anyway. You, know, you got a priest in a dark room because the vampire's sitting there that's the hostess of the Bible study. Don't like the light. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Here we go. Woo! So, anywho. <laughs> so, we were having some biblical examples of how God rules secular, secular rulers. How he deals with secular rulers. Uh, the first one we uh, were uh, uh, going over was uh, Pharaoh. We talked about Pharaoh having the nation of Israel enslaved. They had gone from, and this was over a 400 year period actually. Joseph who was the second in command. He was prime minister of Egypt. If, if there would be an equivalent office to name him to he was second only to Pharaoh he ran everything rulers don't like things to do they just want to sit up there and look good and that's what the Pharaoh was able to do because he put Joseph in charge of everything and they survived and actually prospered through a seven year drought and famine because of a plan Joseph received from God (coughs) we talked about Joseph needing to get to Egypt because God will put a person there that he will put his word in and his spirit in who will obey him. And God chose Joseph for this even when Joseph was a young boy still living at home. Get that dream, you know, where everybody was bowing to him and he was a chief of wheat which represented food and provision. Uh, But they didn't know what that meant. They just knew, the family knew Joseph was trying to be a big deal deal, uh, because it looked like the family would be subservient to him. They didn't like it. They hated him for it. That's part of the reason God showed in the dream. Part was to instill it in his heart. The other part was that he needed to get him to Egypt and he knew the little evil brothers would help him out. 
I don't care how bad things get. If God's put something in your heart that hasn't come to pass yet, uh, you will live. You will live to see it. Hold on to it. Don't give up. Don't let the devil steal it from you. His word preserves your life. His word preserves your life. So you hold on to things that you yet want to see. Don't ever give up wanting hope and expectation arise in your heart for things that God is going to do in your life. I always have something on the plan and on the, the front burner, the back burner, the oven too of what you're working on in God. So God then after 400 years uh, the Pharaohs turn against the Hebrews to the extent that they now have them enslaved and they work in very hard labor. We talked about the spirit of Pharaoh that causes hard labor. And it causes, in, in one of the, the hallmarks of the spirit of Pharaoh is that it is antichrist in that it works against you having time to serve God and having time to worship God. And you see that in this day and age very, very strong because both parents are working. If families are working, they say it takes two paychecks and we still can't keep up. Jobs have not got one of the reasons it takes two paychecks is all the really high paying jobs are gone now. So it used to be that the the head of the household, if the man worked, he'd be making thirty to forty dollars an hour now, uh, even in a manufacturing job, and that would be plenty to take care of a household. But most people are down to twelve, eleven, ten, nine, fifteen tops, and and they top out there. Why? All those jobs left here many many years ago it's been subtle but they have been leaving now we feel the full effect of it because it's just not working and so that is a plot of the devil to keep you out of church to keep you keep too busy I'm, I gotta work Sunday I gotta work Saturday, you know to keep you too busy to go to church which is your day to rest and refresh your soul and your spirit you know when you go to church you take that day off and you have that day to focus on God and rest in God and rest with God got me and stop this nonsense and so God always provides for that uh, we we cut our teeth people in the ministry they would say well my job makes me do this and they know you got to believe God now to get you off during worship days because you got to be here to worship God you can't be working all the time uh, you you need this and so if people will hear by the spirit of God they'll understand you know what I do need this and God would provide for me to come and worship him are you kidding me and so God then begins to undertake for us and he will help us if we'll resist in these just ordinary everyday ways these small ways of resisting the temptation of the enemy to be his slave then you can get the freedom of God and and learn of God and ride upon the high places in your life so then God has to develop a plan after he has sent his people to Egypt to survive 400 years later they are enslaved and we see there the sin of abortion now coming upon God's people just like it is now 
So this is a part of the Pharaoh and Jezebel complex is the abortion on demand scenario. Uh, the sin and this travesty that's, that's so rampant in, in worldwide. It's across this nation but it's worldwide as well. I like the fact that in some nations they don't have abortions and it's not a problem. You know why? Just day to day survival is their problem. So they don't have time to mess around this nonsense. And you wonder why God starts raising up uh, leaders in countries that used to be dependent remember when all the American people went over to Africa and Asia and preached the gospel where they're coming over here now telling us how to live you understand what I'm saying because they're living uh, more in God's light in some places than we are here by choice and so they choose not to abort their children even though they have problems feeding them I think one of the greatest things that you can do as a Christian in this nation is to send money to these people who really feed people with your money you know how to to to, to find the ones who are legit and who really use that money for the right thing and and it, it makes sure those new lives are being being nourished and fed because our laws allow them be to to be murdered here you got me so you got to support life some kind of way you got to do that so so God then gives a plan and he raises up uh, a deliverer for his people it happens to be Moses Moses survived mandatory compulsory abortion because the midwives refused to abort those babies Uh, See, you have here, you have an example of a law and a decree that's given by the government and people violating it with God's permission because it it, it appeals to a higher law. We have a higher law in God. We live, we have to live at a higher moral level than secular people in this world. It used to be. Uh, rulers and leaders in this nation too would consult with our religious leaders they don't do it anymore they don't respect God and they don't respect many of our leaders because many of our leaders are not living morally upright lives they got one person they'll go that's Billy Graham the rest of them they go to they go to mock them make fun of them because they know they're wishy-washy you got me and so we we have to get back to a place where our leaders are morally upright people they withstand the test of uh, uh, morality Uh, they carry themselves in a morally upright way so during the 80s when a lot of these people were exposed I think the devil took that as blanket permission to mock the servants of God and to mock God in the process so in Egypt God needs a deliverer to come and deliver his people he always works through a leader people do nothing just a bunch of them wild and running around on their own without uh, uh, people cast off all restraint you know without a vision and, and God will put the vision in the heart of a leader That's like he did with Moses he said I'm, I'm going to have you get my people out of Egypt so if you turn to Exodus chapter 3 we'll do just some highlights of, of Moses interaction with God 
Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7 starting in verse 7. So Moses is out on the desert keeping his father-in-law's flock and he's out there walking around and uh, God gives him a sign and a wonder and it's a bush that burns but it's not burned up it's not consumed so he looks at this it gets his attention and, and God does this when he wants people to do something for him he will find a way to get your attention uh, many times we pray and pray and pray for people to change and then they well, I want them to do this and I want them to do that and they don't do it it's because maybe God doesn't want them to do it as bad as you do but when he does he knows how to get the attention he not slow he not slow talking to nobody that needs talking to you (laughs) I learned this when I was married I learned how to hook up with God's plan for my husband instead of trying to dictate to God you know you know some people is deranged you know you let, let some people really get control over other people they have you roll over play dead beg for your food all you know come on now let's stop this nonsense God has a plan for them before you met them somebody say amen I don't care if you say amen or not but it's the truth I'm trying to I'm trying to help y'all before you get in trouble and get yourself all sweaty and frustrated and crazy you know want to leave and or like I used to do <laughs> go load a revolver uh, boil a pot of hot water all night you know you know how sisters do <laughs> brother sleeping with one eye <laughs> cause he won't get saved and be holy like me <laughs> God raises up a deliverer. Yes. So in Exodus 3 and verse 7 we start there. The Lord said I've surely seen the affliction of my people. And this is what you want God to see. When when he calls people to intercede. When he calls leadership. It's because he sees the affliction of the people. And he says and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring up them up out of that land to a good land of large, flowing with milk and honey, place of the Canaanites. So God is laying out everything right here in his first conversation with Moses. Now therefore, he says, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I've also seen the oppression where the, with the Egyptians oppressed them. So God sees everything and when he don't like it and he's fed up, he moves to do something about it. He's not just sitting up there watching all this suffering go and say, oh well, no, 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 no. But he needs somebody to petition him so that he can move. He just can't come busting down. Now God is a sovereign God. But he also must work through leaders. Work through faith. He got to wake somebody up that will stay awake. He got to put people through their paces. And test them in obedience of small things. Before he can trust them with large things. You got me? It takes training. And it takes development. He just can't knock on somebody's door and get anybody. He's got to get somebody that he's put through the test of trustworthiness so they can make it through all the difficult hurdles they're going to have to make it through to do a job for him. 
you know it ain't easy folks i mean it gets easier as you get trained as you let god train you but i see these people has got a prophecy saturday and and sunday they ready to go get a church opened well you, you know good for your prophecy but you got the first thing god when god told me i was called to ministry i said who's gonna teach me because i knew i didn't know know nothing if that ain't your first question, he ain't really called you. You ain't ready yet. You go, you know, cook some pies or, you know, go make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at the shelter or something. You know, get yourself in a place where you can humble yourself to the voice of God and know what he's speaking to you. And then, you know, he'll step you out there. So so then God in uh, verse 9, did we do, yeah, verse 9, and now in verse 12, and he says, certainly I will be with you. And this is what you got to get your reassurance of. You got to know God's with you. And he will test you sometimes. Well, I knew I was called to preach. He was with me in front of my mirror because I preached many sermons in front of my mirror before it and i blessed myself and kept blessing myself until he opened real doors for me you don't try to open these yourself i still don't try to open them myself seldom will i just pray god open a door i got open door i got work to do i got work you wouldn't believe i I got work stacked up i could be doing even better than i do now so why should i pray for something else to come in here i know what i'm called to do You know, people, you know, sometimes <laughs> prophets will prophesy, God's going to open doors for you. I'm thinking, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, I just say that to myself. But it's always the same thing. You know, I want to say, you tell that to everybody. I wonder what they would do if I ever did that. <laughs> you got any news about the money I need to take care of this meeting right here? right that i have been praying about got answer for me anyway well we we just love them we just keep loving people and keep doing what we do (laughs) so god maps out his plan assures moses in uh, verse 12 that he will be with him amen he says, and this will be a token to you that I sent you. When you have brought up the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. So Moses knows he's going to start with God up here at this mountain. He's gonna, God's going to send him off to do something. And the end result where he knows he's been obedient is he's going to wind up right back up here. People will be brought here to worship. That's what he wants. God wants people to worship him. And to serve him. That's got to be in your vision. If your vision is just numbers of people. You're missing the whole thing. What are they doing? Just coming to see you? I don't think so. They're coming to worship God. And you've got to be faithful in your commitment to God to ever see that happen. He gives his plan to Moses in in verse 20. He says, I will stretch out my hand. And smite Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in the midst of them. And after that he will let you go. So God has in his plan to something for Pharaoh's benefit. See we think when we pray 
and we ask God for something, he's just going to take care of us. God going to let my people go. I'm going to leave these people. No, 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 no. No, no. God don't work like that. In the midst of these things, God is revealing himself to unbelievers. So God, because Pharaoh thinks he's all that, God is going to show Pharaoh he ain't all that. He's going to show him that God is all that. And he's not. So in the midst of our running off with all of the goodies that we think God is going to bring us, um, you know, hold a show. God's got something he wants to get out of this. What about all the people in Egypt who are following the Pharaoh without question? God sees them too. They need to know God too. Little by little as people watch these plagues develop, they started having a fear of God Almighty even if Pharaoh didn't. Never count out God when it comes to influencing the hearts of men. Pharaoh's up there thinking he's all that and the people are watching and say, now wait a minute. Pharaoh told us them magicians had all the power in the world. I'm seeing that Moses got snakes that ate them up. What's going on with this? Or yesterday we have frogs everywhere we couldn't get rid of. And I heard Moses went down there and prayed today and all the frogs is gone. What's with that? So while God is revealing himself to Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt, he is showing people that Pharaoh is a fraud. He ain't as powerful as y'all think he is, and he is nobody to be feared and afraid of. How do we know that these people were convinced? Because when Moses brought them out, they were referred to as a mixed multitude of people. They weren't all Hebrews. It was some smart Egyptians in, (laughs) in that group. You got me? The last thing that happened was the death of the firstborn of of every family and when the the egyptian people saw that they knew if we want to live we got to get out of here how do you think they were so willing to give all of their jewelry all of their gold that was their offering to god to get them out of there you think them people just gave the the israelites their jewelry and stuff and let them take it out of there They thought they were buying their way out. I'll give you this. Can I go with you when you go? Can I go with you? We're being nice to you so you can speak up for us when we need it. You know, you have to think in these terms. What would you do if you saw death all around you and you see a people who are leaving? And you've already seen their God outdo all your little gods day in and day out. What would you do? I'd be caught following the cloud. I'd be getting on out of there with them. And many, many people, and there are many historians, the Bible calls it a mixed multitude. Many historians documented some of the people that came out. Uh, some of the, the Kenite nation was one of the ones that came out and went with them. because, And they raised up their own, uh, uh, what's his name, Caleb was a Kenite. They lived in harmony with the uh, nation of Israel. Why? Because they believed their God. You see people serving false gods and not getting nowhere and then the real God shows up. They're crazy if they don't go along with them. And so then God reveals his plan in chapter 20. 
He said he would have to perform wonders. And after the wonders, Pharaoh would let them go. Moses just didn't know how many. You know, you think, oh, well, it's one time, then we can get out of here. Ten times. Why does Moses have to go ten times? Well, he's being tested to see if he the one. If you ain't the one, we, we find somebody else, Moses. That's all to it. I believe you the one, but we're going to have to see if you're the one. And so Moses was able to develop a relationship with God that made him totally dependent on God. You saw him after the nation of Israel came out. He spent even more time with God. Receiving wisdom. Receiving power. Receiving instruction. For how to deal with the people. God set this up before he left Egypt. He trained him to stay close to him. Everything that Moses complained he wasn't. God showed him that he was. You got me? Every deficiency that you might have that you think is keeping you from being blessed of God. He will show you he more than makes up for it. Man, he more than makes up for it. So after the wonders, Pharaoh will let them go. God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh will tell Moses, you know, pray for me. I, I need it. And then next thing you know, he's being mean again. And so Pharaoh was given chance upon chance. He was given ten chances to repent and did not. So even the hardest of people get multiple chances because God is so merciful. God is so merciful. So he hardened Pharaoh's heart by refusing to soften it even after. Got me? You see in the Bible it says he hardened Pharaoh's heart, but it really means that he didn't move on his heart to soften it beyond what he was could do himself. He left him to his own ability to stick with God. The wrath of God strikes Egypt, but he rescues the righteous. I'm telling you, get on the right side of the line, y'all. And you won't have any problem with God. I don't care if you feel like you're the only one on that side of the line. You won't have a problem with him. So our next uh, example is Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And he's in Daniel chapter, I think it's chapter 4. I want to go there. Daniel is one of the young men who was carted off to Babylon uh, because he was under, um, they were under a disobedient leadership in Israel. All these kings of Israel after a long period of time, you would see four wicked kings and one, every now and then you see one king that would serve God faithfully. But the, the great majority of them worshipped the Baals. And the gods that the foreigners worshipped. And back there it was an idol that they worshipped. But here it's other things. See you can worship the god of this world just by listening to the world's ideas. And and employing the world's methods for doing things. Instead of staying with your relationship with God. See what Daniel did everybody wasn't doing. And it wasn't popular to do. The Bible says that Daniel would worship God in front of his window out loud three times a day. He didn't worship him in a closet. Daniel was always a standout kind of person. When he first got in the palace he was being trained. 
and they took away everything from him and and instead of him going along with the program he drew the line you got me you got to draw the line folks you can't just now you might in your job you might have to do some things in your job or you might have to deal with some people in your job but but know this you don't have to sacrifice everything and you don't have to be rebellious and and uh striving if you're going to serve God you just go about and do what you're supposed to do you don't have to answer anybody you don't have to talk to nobody you don't have to tell nobody off and I'm a child of God you can't tell them don't go there don't go there they should know you're a child of God by the way you live your witness should tell who you are so Babylon had conquered Israel Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty man and a great king and he was he employed astrologers to advise him and Daniel is sent by God to deliver the people even though he was a slave to Nebuchadnezzar God confirms Nebuchadnezzar and he reveals himself to him in a dream and establishes that he is a great man and in fact that he has given this great land into his hand but Nebuchadnezzar decided to build a graven image anyway and Daniel again is sent to intervene and we see the the situation of the fiery furnace where the Hebrew boys are placed in that furnace uh, the uh, they are compelled to bow down and worship this you know they would play music anytime you heard the music you had to respond accordingly you know reminds me of some churches I was in when I was younger in the Lord you know our sister so and so get up and dance and shake her wig off and you know her dress flies up every Sunday on cue come on now I've seen this before and the pastor you know liked it he thought that was great Nebuchadnezzar just call him Pastor Nebuchadnezzar that's what she do anytime that music goes off she get up and her shoes fly over here they gotta hold her down you know she got happy Sound happy? I've been happy before. I've even been drunk before. You know, I ain't never done that. So anyway, you know, people in leadership who have no testing in God will do anything to prove that they can control people. They think controlling people and stirring up this kind of activity in people means something you know makes them feel good and powerful and they go back in the office and oh we had a high time in the Lord did you see sister so and so yeah but you know I, I, I got a headache and I didn't get prayer I still got a headache the service is over see you do that when you don't have a a ministry pulpit ministry you don't have any gifts to minister out of and aren't trying to look for any you're just trying to keep people entertained and controlled you notice everybody sits down and waits till that's over nobody ever moves you know except me I get up and lead a church (laughs) 
You ain't popping me in the mouth because I might have to hit you back. We don't want that. Came here to worship God and come here to fist fight nobody. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to dance to his music. Amen. And some people in here don't never jump and shout. No, I do it when God shows up. He, he'll show up better in my living room and me playing my little tape. That's why you have a lot of people don't even bother to darken the door of many churches anymore. People like that have killed it for people who really are sincerely wanting to have God. So... <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar builds this this uh, uh, altar and sets this law into effect. And so it was revealed to him that they these three Hebrew boys refused to answer uh, his call. And so he questions them in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them and said, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, he's pleading with them because they're valuable to him. He wants not to have to kill them, but he's already given his word. And he says, you're not going to worship the golden image which I set up? He says, now if you're ready, and at what time you hear the sound, he said, you can go ahead and do that. He says, but if you don't, or he said, that'll be fine. He said, but you don't do it. You'll be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that can deliver you out of my hand is what he said. Who's more powerful than I? And see, so listen folks, I don't care how bad things get anywhere. God will raise up somebody. If somebody down here running stuff thinks they're bigger than God, fair game. Fair game. They just need a little talking to, a little teaching. A little demonstration, a little sign, a little wonder to show them. So he says, "Who who's able to deliver you out of my hand? And they said, you know what? I don't even think about that one. You know how some people you tell them, you know, God, God told me to ask you if you'd like to do so and so in the church. Ooh, I better pray about that. He said, no, you know what? I don't even have to pray about that one. Huh? That's, we should be so quick to respond to open doors from God. And he says, I don't even have to be, think about that. He says, verse 17, if it's so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. See, you, this ain't a bluff, folks. This is something you know. I hear more bluffing Christians running around, you know. Blessed and highly favored. Mm. I know you read that somewhere. You know, you heard it from all the religious spirits. You're waiting for the next little religious catchphrase to come along so you'll know what to say then. Instead of talking to God every day. Huh? You have an appropriate answer. Every time you talk to God, you have to. These little religious phrases. And everybody's got them. You'll see rappers talking about God and saying the same phrases that you see church people saying. Hmm? 
Yes, I mean, none of them really know him. Because they're all talking the same thing. Just a thought. He says, you know, our God, who we serve, it's important that who we serve. Who we serve, not who we talk about and who we give the religious catchphrases about, but we actually serve him. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't serve you. We serve him. Now, if he sends us down here to work for you, that's one thing. But we ain't serving you. We serve him. We work for you. Which in my book might be a temporary assignment. You keep cutting up like you cutting up. He said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able. Never doubt the ability of your God to do anything. He'll get us out of that furnace. And he'll deliver us out of your hand. He said, but if not, let it be known to you. We ain't bowing to you. I don't care what. This music y'all playing is funny and stupid. And I, ain't, I ain't shaking my wig off or my weave out. Dancing around this crazy church and breaking the heels off my shoes. And throwing my dress up and all that crap. I'm not doing that. Find you somebody else. He says, we're not going to worship your image. We got somebody to worship already. He's taking good care of us. Nebuchadnezzar went from being smiling at him and trying to, co- you know, kind of coax him and and manipulate him into into the dance. And and they said, you know, he, then he showed his true self. His face was full of fury and his face changed. And he says. <clears throat> He commanded that the fire should be heated up seven times hotter, which actually burned the people who were working for for him. So that was a sign to God for these three Hebrew boys. He said, that fire ain't for you. It's for wickies. I burn up wicked people, but get in there and see what I do for servants. Amen. So these men were bound in their coats, hose, hats, and other garments and cast into the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, the fire was exceeding hot the flame when they opened the door. Of course, anybody's worked with fire before knows when you add air to fire, oxygen to fire, it burns even more. But they're all nervous and stuff because the king told them to do it. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And when Nebuchadnezzar got up, he was astonished, got up in haste. And he said, didn't we put three men in there? He said, and I see three men walking around, and there's another one with him, and he looks like the Son of God. Now, how did this secular person know? At that was he said it looks like the son of God. Looks like the son of God. And Nebuchadnezzar the one who had dreams. He don't even know what them dreams are about. He got to find somebody to interpret dreams for him. But he knows who this is all of a sudden. Huh? And God knows how to reveal himself to people. Huh? He knows exactly who that is because God told him who that is. So he has his revelation of God, which is what God wants. He wants to show people who he is. Just like he wanted, he showed me and you who he is. 
He wants everybody to have that knowledge. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out of there. And when they came out in the midst, see, when, the, when, when God reveals himself to you, you get a fear of God. He said, oh Lord, I'm in trouble. If I put them in, they serve God and God then showed up with them, I'm in trouble. Let me get myself out of trouble. So he's doing this to bail himself out. He said, come on out of there, y'all. I didn't mean that. I was messing with you. I didn't. See, you saw me tell them and I didn't tell. Well, I told them, but I So everybody, everybody, everybody important is gathered together. See, God, when God does things, sometimes he gives you an audience because he has other people watching that think he don't exist no more. Think they can do anything they want to. Don't acknowledge him. Claim they're Christians, but not. He makes sure everybody can see when he moves. And the princes, governors, captains, kings, counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. That's you and that's me. You ain't going to hell and I ain't going to hell. And any fire that's on this earth is not going to singe us either. Has no power. Nor was a hair of their head singed. Coats weren't, weren't changed. Smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, uh, <laughs> I think I'll bless your God. He, he's convinced. Some people just need one encounter to be convinced, folks. He said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. And have changed the king's word. In other words, my word is law down here, but you made me change it. In fact, I didn't change it. God changed it for me. He took it totally out of my hands. So he said, I found a God bigger than I am. I thought I was all that and I thought I was it. But I see right now I'm not. And he said, they and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any god except for their own god. People respect that. They might pick at you. They might persecute you. But once they see and know who your god is, they respect it. They respect it. Therefore I make a decree. In other words, he changed his word. He thought y'all, you know what? Y'all thought y'all had to dance to that music. Uh, I'm changing that. See, I changed my mind. Let's change the record. You know, put on a different song. (laughs) I'm changing that song. I make a decree that every people, nation, and language would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. People who want power, when they see a greater power, have to bow down to it. See? When they're convinced, let God convince people. Let him talk. Let Just pray and expect God to do what he needs to do. But he's in the business of revealing himself to everybody. And we have to let him do it in his way. 
then the king promoted he liked to keep them around huh keep the yeah we got a promotion for you all you got to do is let god show up one time real good you got to humble yourself and submit to him though and you got to do what god tells you to do in spite of but you wind up promoted and they'll be serving you all the people that persecuted you and don't get in the flesh about it either just keep serving god don't pay it any attention just keep serving god and so Nebuchadnezzar here has a revelation of God and he understands who God is but he now has to be put to a different kind of test to make sure that he holds on to that knowledge of God so Nebuchadnezzar gets himself in in Daniel chapter 4 that was a, a an encounter with Daniel's companions who had to be tested then we have Daniel coming to a different kind of test he'll come into many more many times people who are servants of God think if once they get in the pulpit they got it made they don't have no more testing and then something happens they're ready to tear their hair out and scream and can't sleep all this kind of stuff uh, you'll always be tested huh uh, I don't know of a school that you go to where they tell you, well, you just pass this first test and you won't get no more. Unless they got something else to do. Now, to me, that class ain't worth taking if they don't have anything more for you to do than that. But but you can be tested anytime God decides he wants to challenge you and, and, and see what's inside of you. He, he can examine you. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream that he cannot interpret. And he asks Daniel. Uh, to to come in he, he of course he gets all these astrologers they can't tell him anything he threatens to kill everybody verse 8 in chapter 4 but at the last Daniel came in before me whose name was Belteshazzar now this is interesting because Nebuchadnezzar actually writes this chapter of the Bible and this is something very odd and strange all men who wrote it are inspired by the Holy Spirit because he's a secular leader it does not mean the Holy Spirit cannot inspire him he's inspired by the Holy Ghost and he actually writes this it begins in chapter 1 Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people nations and places I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God has wrought toward me so he writes this himself no, no, no doubt had uh, Daniel probably was dictated to him but he wrote it in the first person his own words God then gives him a dream nobody can interpret it Daniel comes in and and Daniel tells him he says it's not in me he said I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in Daniel that's what Daniel that's what Nebuchadnezzar says to him and he does it because he knows Daniel is a holy man who trusts God and he tells him about these visions and dreams and Daniel interprets and in verse 18 this dream I King Nebuchadnezzar have seen now Belteshazzar declare the interpretation he tells him and Daniel tells him that for seven years he will be banished from his kingdom but in that seven year period he'll, he'll be degraded to the point where he's living like an animal but after the end of seven years God will restore him and he says uh, uh, um, uh, let me see where that starts ah uh, yeah 
verse 28 all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months he walked in the palace of his kingdom of Babylon and the king said is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by my might and my power and pride always takes you into the fall after that incident with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego he gets right back to being prideful and arrogant the Bible says in verse 31 while the words were still in his mouth there fell a voice from heaven O King Nebuchadnezzar to you it is spoken the kingdom is departed from you and they shall drive you from men etc same thing God spoke to him before verse 34 at the end of days I Nebuchadnezzar lifted up my eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned to me so anyway he was driven mad and lived out like the gathering demoniac living out in the tombs he lived out in the wild hair had grown on him his the fingernails turned into claws he was he lived like an animal after seven years of that his understanding God snapped him back into his right mind and he says it returned to me and I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him that lives forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation now he found out some stuff about God all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and he does according to his will in the army of heaven so he didn't see angels he didn't see God on the throne he didn't see a lot of stuff while he was out crazy verse 36 at the same time my reason returned unto me and for the glory of my kingdom my honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors and my lords sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom again and excellent majesty was added unto me now because he's trustworthy now now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven all whose works are truth his ways are judgment and those that walk in pride Anybody think they all that? Ooh, trouble, trouble, trouble. But in his mercy, he'll bring them out of it. He wants to be merciful to everybody, but they got to get humble before. See, you either humble yourself or you get humiliated. You got me? You get too arrogant and too high on your horse and too prideful and too above everybody. You get above judgment. Are you kidding me? <laughs> There's a God in heaven who sees that. All we got to do as his people is cry out for justice and he will, they will be shown justice. You got me? And so God then works in the affairs of men. People try to treat, treat us as because we're Christians. We shouldn't be interested in politics. We shouldn't be interested. Are you kidding me? This book is full of prophets who wouldn't talk to politicians. <laughs> God will do it now if he can find some prophets who will speak right. You know, that's problem. <laughs> problem is finding somebody who will say what God says not what they want to say. Man. But God is, is judging and ruling. Don't rule God out. Don't ever count him out. The minute you think God isn't, he is. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for the ability to hear and see your word. See clearly the things that you're putting forth in the earth. We love you for it. We thank you for it. We honor you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Does anybody need prayer? Come on up. Pray for you.